Hi everyone, so I'm delighted to be back with you today and I'm joined again by the fabulous Pamela Leggett and today we're going to talk about a couple of different topics but first of all welcome Pamela, it's lovely to see you again. Oh thank you so much for having me back, I really appreciate it. It was fun listening to the first two programs that I did with you. I must admit that I don't usually like to listen to myself when I'm done. I suppose a lot of people feel that way. And then I listened to it because I felt like I had to just out of respect for all that you had worked on and everything. And I really liked them. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. I surprised myself. <laughs> Fantastic. So we're kind of approaching the festive season, so I thought it would be fun to talk about a couple of topics. And we're going to start off on one which I think puts a lot of sewers off sometimes, which is using more challenging fabrics or like slinkier fabrics and how to deal with those. And I know that when we'd spoken before, you'd said it had come up for you in some of the classes that you'd done and you'd got some tips. So I just thought it'd be fun to talk about that. And then we're going to move on to talk a little bit about how to then use some of those fabrics with patterns and some design changes so people can mix and match some of the things that they're doing and make them look a little bit different for the festive season. Hello everyone and welcome to the So Mindful podcast where we dig into the tips and topics that will help you have great fun making clothes that make you feel fabulous. I'm your host Jackie Blakemore of So Much More Fun And I can't wait to share this week's illuminating episode with you. So let's roll the tape. So let's start with a little bit about what kinds of fabrics do you think are trickier to sew? What sorts of things can people look out for? Because sometimes when we're searching for fabrics online, it can be hard to know just by looking at the picture whether it's going to be easy to sew with or not. So were there particular things or types of fabrics that you think definitely have more challenges? Oh, yeah, it it is hard to tell online for sure. But I, I think that probably most people definitely have heard that working with silk fabrics or silky polyester fabrics can be particularly challenging because when you lay them down on your table and cut out the pieces, it seems like as soon as you get the pattern piece off of the fabric, that the whole fabric piece just keeps shifting. So then you second guess yourself, oh my gosh, did I cut that out correctly? Now that I've cut it out, it doesn't look like the pattern piece anymore. And it can be a little bit scary to even think about cutting into it if you've had that experience before. So what I find is a lot of people typically will stay away from those fabrics just because that fear of not having it turn out right or not knowing how to handle the fabric. Mm -hmm. So polyester, silkies, and silk or silk blends that tend to be very drapey and a little bit on the thin side. Now, other fabrics that can be that way is like a rayon chalet. It is a little bit easier to handle than a silky fabric, but all the same too, it has those qualities where after it is cut, it tends to shift again. And rayon chalet is just a very soft rayon fabric. It has beautiful drape. It has beautiful coloration. So It takes the dye very well, so you can get vibrant colors and very pure looking colors with rayon chalet. It's 
actually one of my very, very favorite fabrics to work on. But there can be different kinds of chalet as well. Uh, it doesn't have to be rayon. There could be wool chalets. Those are harder to find. So fabrics like that tend to make people a little, a little less likely to dive into and be excited about. Yeah, I think in the UK we call it a viscose chalet. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and that's my new favorite, I have to say. It's just so lovely to wear. It just feels quite luxurious. Like you say, it's got a really nice drape to it but as you said it can seem like it's got a mind of its own on the cutting table definitely yes it does so we've talked about the cutting out and the fact that the fabric moves around what other kinds of problems do you see when people are trying to sew or make garments with those kinds of fabrics well when you put your seams together it's almost like you didn't even cut them out straight because one side of the seam might look straight and then the other side looks a little bit wavy. And I think people are never quite sure whether to line them up or to let the little kind of bumps that appear on the edge of the fabric stick out more. And it can be quite challenging. Also needle sizes, and that part is pretty easy. Just using a finer needle is helpful. Basically, I think a a universal needle in a smaller size works very well, like a size 70 or a 75, but sometimes you might want to have some of the Microtex needles on hand as well and try those and just see if you get a better result. Also, a long staple polyester thread will help and sometimes a little bit more pressure on the sewing machine foot. Not all machines will have a pressure setting for their presser foot, but some do. But sometimes if you increase the pressure on the foot, which is how much pressure would be placed on the fabric as it's going through, that that could help a little bit with feeding the fabrics through the machine. So those are basically, I think, the hardest things. It's it's just getting your edges to match up properly. But what I'm going to tell you next is going to take care of all of that. <laughs> so let's get into that. We've teased it enough now, I think. So what are your tips for dealing with those kinds of fabrics then? What would you advise people to do? Well, this is like life-changing if you've never done this before. <laughs> let's pause here. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life-changing in your sewing life, I should say. <laughs> So if you stabilize your fabric prior to cutting it out, it will make a huge difference in how your sewing goes. Think of using a spray starch on something and you want them to have that nice crisp look. You might use a spray starch or the best press starch that you can use that is a little less heavy and a little bit more manageable. You would have a fabric that was a little bit stiffer now that had a little bit more body to it. I don't think those are going to work really well in working with your silk fabrics because first of all, I don't think I want to spray something like that on there and try and iron it out because it comes out in droplets. And so it's good for like pressing linens or if anybody ever presses pillowcases or anything like that anymore, I don't know. But It wouldn't be suitable for doing like a whole big piece of fabric because it wouldn't be an even layer. And so you can do a few other things to get this evenness on your fabric to make it have that body. And basically, they're going to make your silky fabric work like a quilting cotton. 
you know how easy quilting cotton is to work on. Yeah. It's going to be like that. So it's really very interesting. So I've got two things that I generally use myself, and there may be more things out there, but these are the two things that I have found work really well. My favorite product to use is called Perfect Sew Stabilizer. This is a liquid stabilizer. I know in my last podcast, I talked about the Palmer Pletch Company, and they actually developed this liquid stabilizer for use in the embroidery business. So let's just say that you have an embroidery machine and you wanted to embroider on, say, a sheer lightweight fabric. You always have to use stabilizer in the process of doing embroidery. And if you were using a sheer fabric, a tearaway stabilizer would not be your best choice because it might show through your embroidery. So they came up with this product that is a thick liquid stabilizer, and you would essentially kind of paint it onto your fabric. It would make it stiff, and then you could hoop it up and use it for embroidery. Well, I got to thinking that perhaps I could use it as an overall stabilizer for fabric yardage. And so I played around with it a little and found that the ratio of one part perfect sew to three parts of water would make a great stabilizer for fabric yardage. Your silk fabric, even if you have a couple yards of silk, it's really not going to be an enormous volume of fabric in a bowl. So if you use, say, a half cup or so of the perfect sew and then three parts water. Mix that up in a mixing bowl and take your silk fabric and put it into the bowl and completely saturate your silk fabric. So you're going to like squeeze that product into the fabric so it's completely saturated. When you have that done, Wring it out gently so that if any there's any extra, it can go back into your mixing bowl because you can save that and use it later again. And then put your yardage, lay it out flatter, maybe fold it a few times so that it fits on a bath towel and then roll the fabric up in the bath towel just to get out any extra moisture that's in there. Hang your fabric yardage over your shower bar in your bathroom and let it dry. Once it's dry, take it off and press it because it's going to feel very cardboardy when it just dries over your shower bar. And then when you put the iron on it, I like to use steam and I just iron the fabric, then it becomes less boardy and more like fabric, but almost like a quilting cotton. Yeah, still with the body. Yeah, now you can lay your fabric out and it's easy to lay out on your cutting table. You can easily cut out the pieces without having them move. You can sew the garment together with it being like a quilting cotton body to it. And then when you're all done, you just dunk it in some water and all that starch goes away and you've got your nice silky garment. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Like magic. It is so fun. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if other people have thought of this before, but I just find it to be like the most amazing thing. And sometimes when I'm making something, I'll be like, oh, I don't need to do that with this fabric. And then I get into it and go, uh, duh, why <laughs> did you do that. this? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So now I'm trying to just kind of get it in my head to just go ahead and take that extra time to do that step 
And, oh my gosh, your sewing will be so much better and easier and more pleasurable. And you will be thrilled with the results when you're done. A little thing I'd like to say is most silks are fine with this process, but I don't ever want to say that it would work with all fabrics or all silk. And so I know it's a pain to test things, but I have learned over my years that testing is super important <laughs> and not a step to be missed. Um, learned that the hard way many times on many different things in my sewing life. And so I would recommend cutting a piece of the fabric and trying it out first, because if you see something that doesn't look good, of course, you're not going to use that technique. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, like you say, it's easy to try with a small sample if you wanted to just give it a go with any of the fabrics that you've got that you're thinking of trying out just to find out what it's like and how it feels and how easy it is. I'm a firm believer in, you know, making the most of my time because time is definitely something <laughs> I don't have a lot of. When I first started doing this process, I just went into my stash and I cut a small sample, like even a six inch square. And I just went through all of my fabrics that kind of had these qualities that I thought would be hard to work with and cut a piece of it. And I did a whole bunch of samples at once. Then I, when I was done, I could just attach that sample to the yardage and know that ahead of time so yeah. that I wouldn't have to test out. Now that I've done that with all the fabrics in my stash that, you know, that I think deserve that process. Now, when I get a new fabric, again, if it's a silk fabric, I'm going to cut a sample and try it first before I pre-wash that I could test out with the remnants of my perfect cell from what I used before and just try it out. It just saves a little bit of time. And then I know I'm not skipping that process of trying it out to see. Yeah. And so does that keep, do you put it like in a bottle somewhere and then you can reuse it later? Is that what you were saying? Yes, I actually use a mason jar to store it in. Now, I do have another one that you could, so if you are not able to get the perfect sew, I do have a method where I make my own starch. I use cornstarch and water. And I do have actually like a handout on my website and we could provide a link if that's okay, Jackie, where you yep. could download how to work with your silky fabrics, your chiffons and silks and georgettes and things like that. So there is a handout where it's all written up and my starch recipe is also on there. So if you wanted to try making your own, it is just cornstarch and water. And if you want it to smell nice, you could put in like some essential oils in that as well. You might have to play around with the formula that I give a little bit because I have found that cornstarches react differently. So you might want to play around with the ratios a little bit just to make sure you're getting that the way it should be. I found too with that one with the cornstarch, you know, it might react a little bit different on a different fabric, but the good news is, is let's just say that you did it and you, you thought, oh, that's not stiff enough or I need it to be stiffer. You can just rinse it out of the fabric. And <laughs> yeah. Just or just to do it again. Yeah. Do it another time yeah. with a bit more. Yeah. 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 So it, it's not really a big deal. It, it's not like a permanent kind of thing, but those are the two methods that I've tried. I did try the best press. Is that a brand that you guys have? in the UK? I don't think so. It's called Mary Ellen's Best Press and it's a beautiful 
light starch. But I did try it with that and I didn't have the same results. Then I also used one, a product called Terial Magic, which is marketed more towards crafts, but I've used it in sewing projects and embroidery as well. That one seemed a little too heavy. Again, it could probably be diluted, but these were the two that I found worked the best for me. But yeah, I encourage you to experiment and yeah. see what you come up with and let us know if you come up with something good. Yeah, exactly. Let's share the results and see how we get on. The only other tips that I'd seen were more around using stabilizers like tissue paper when you pin the fabric to the paper, tissue paper, and cut the two together as if it was one. Right. As far as the tissue paper, that's what I used to do all the time. But now that I've done this, you will not use this. You will not (laughs) need the tissue paper (laughs) anymore. Yeah. Fabulous. So we were talking about using those kinds of fabrics then with patterns that you might not have typically use them with before. This is the season when we're kind of getting a bit dressed up, maybe going out. And you might have a pattern that's your go-to pattern, but you want to make it look a little bit different. And so we talked about combining maybe not the most obvious fabric for a pattern, but using something slightly different to make it look quite different. So you had some thoughts on that. Do you want to share those? Yeah. So I was so glad you mentioned that because it immediately brought to mind two styles that are super popular. They were super popular last year. This year, I think a little bit more mainstream. So you're seeing them more in the stores rather than in high fashion. And one of them is the slip dress and one of them is called the slip skirt. So the slip dress, you're seeing it mostly on younger people because of the silky clingy nature of a slip. I think Personally, if the garment fits you properly and has the coverage that you want, making a slip dress doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be super skimpy. Mm. And these dresses are oftentimes cut on the bias. And so that, again, not only are they using silky fabrics, but they are also cut on the bias. And I haven't looked this year at pricing because I'm sure there's a lot of knockoffs now. But last year, slip dresses that I was seeing were bordering like eight, nine hundred dollars. And of course, with the designers going up into the thousands of dollars. And I'm sure there's plenty of knockoffs on Amazon now for $39.99. They're not going to be pure silk and they're not going to be as nicely made, of course. But I think these dresses can be very appropriate for anybody as long as you know you're getting the style that you like basically if you wanted to make a slip dress it has the the thinner strap and just what you think of as a full slip style I have my own slip style pattern it is called the glamour slip and I designed it after 1940s style full slips that I always thought were very beautiful and would always look for in vintage stores ever since I was a teenager. So I decided several years ago to make a pattern for one. And what I love about it is that it does have a little bit more coverage. So as well as making it as a slip, a full slip that you would wear underneath your clothes, I also show it as an option for a sundress or a nightgown. 
And you could wear a little top underneath them. They look adorable that way. So if you're afraid of the coverage, you know, you've got that. A lot of what you're seeing on Instagram and so forth, they're wearing them with oversized cozy cardies, mm. which is really a fun look because you've got like this beautiful, elegant dress with this cozy, cushy cardi over it. And it gives that cool girl vibe. With my pattern, there's a, a pattern piece for a smaller bust area and a larger bust area. So, you know, it will cover more. And I also put the yoke in the back with some gathers. So it will flow over tummy and hip a little bit more. And mine particularly is not cut on the bias, but still has a very nice drape to it. But I know that there are some patterns out there as well for slip dresses that are cut on the bias. But again, using that technique with the stabilizing of the fabrics will make it much easier to work with, even on the bias. So that was one thing that I was thinking because we're seeing something that was designed as a slip and now is more for streetwear or outerwear, which is fun. There is one other style I've been seeing a lot of this fall, especially, and that is the slip skirt, typically a bias cut skirt. And again, made from a more drapey fabric, such as silks or polyesters, and they're just absolutely beautiful. So what's fun for me seeing this is that back when I first started my pattern company in the early 2000s, I think my fourth pattern that I ever did was a bias skirt pattern. And it has two widths. It's got a wide width and a narrow width. And I did it with um, an elastic waist rather than a waistband and a zipper because I found that when people made a bias skirt, a lot of times putting the waistband on or a facing because it's bias, it would tend to stretch and you'd end up with something that was a little bit too big. And also putting a zipper in a bias skirt sometimes ripples. And because it's bias, it has a lot of give and will go over your hips without any waistband or zipper anyway. So I just add elastic, a flat band elastic style to the top of my pattern. So it makes it very easy to make just two pieces, a front and a back and an elastic waist and a hem. And it works out really well. Now it's fun because since I did that pattern, maybe it was like 2007 or eight, it has been in and out of style. <laughs> um, I think this might be the third go round now where it's back in style again. And in the previous times that it has been shown in fashion, they were always kind of a wider bias skirt style. And now with this new style, the slip skirt style, you're seeing it being more narrow. I've got that version in the pattern, which is so fun. And you could make a beautiful slip skirt, which again could be worn with a dressy blouse or a cozy oversized sweater. Yeah. And again, have that look that you're seeing in fashion. And I feel like it's something that anybody at all could wear. In the past, a bias skirt pattern was usually made from a linen or a lightweight wool or something more casual looking. And now all of a sudden we're seeing it with the dressier, drapier fabric. 
and it's fabulous. So I'm so excited. I actually just purchased three beautiful silky type fabrics to make three new samples because I have no samples that reflect the current style. So they're on my cutting table right now waiting to be cut out. And I'm hoping to get at least one or two of them done before the holidays. Fantastic. And like you say, I think it's one of those where just changing the style, even from wide to narrow, can change how you wear it or what you can wear it with. And changing it from a thicker fabric to a more slinky fabric completely changes the look and feel of that particular garment. Yes, it's so true. You could just draw a bias line on your A-line skirt pattern, lay it on the bias, and you would have a bias skirt pattern. If you've got a pattern in your stash already, you could eliminate the zipper, the waistband, the facing, and just put in some of my fantastic elastic (laughs) (laughs) because it's an elastic that is meant to be surged through, stitched through. It will not lose its elasticity. You can cut it down to whatever width you want to use. That makes just a really great quick skirt. I've actually made it several times over the years for a dressy occasion. My shape doesn't lend itself to bias cuts, I don't think. But I think you can still get the benefit of the drapey slinky feel without it having to be more fitted. Just picking patterns that you are comfortable with and just trying them in a different feel of fabric or a different type of fabric can just really change the appearance. Absolutely. And if you've got a pattern that fits you well, you should use that. (laughs) Don't don't reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that leads me on to the last thing that we were just going to chat about. I know when beginners start to sew, we can feel quite wedded to the pattern. We trust the pattern. It's the go-to, it's the Bible, and we don't tend to deviate from it. And when we were speaking, we were saying, well, actually, it's great as a starting point, but you've got so much flexibility, you can make it your own. And what I loved about your patterns with the adjustments just to things like necklines or different sleeve options and things like that, and how you could apply those across different patterns as well. So you could take this bit from one pattern and apply it to this part of another pattern and you could combine designs. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think sometimes if we find a pattern that we do like, you can feel like you're making it again and again the same, but there's lots of things you can do to change that up that aren't that complicated, aren't there? So many things you can do. And I actually was like most sewers, a enormous pattern collector for so many years, you know, to the point where I'm sure I'm not unusual. I had hundreds of patterns, probably. I don't know. I never counted them, but certainly boxes and boxes full because I would be so inspired by them. And what I do in my pattern company is I make very basic styles. And some of my most popular classes are teaching people how to use those basic styles and just make a few changes to them so that you are not, again, reinventing the fit that you worked on, adding to your pattern collection, and so forth. So because I've now designed patterns, I've gotten rid of those hundreds of patterns that I had, not all of them by any means, because my patterns are very simple patterns. So I definitely have patterns that I love to use that are a more complicated style or whatever, but these basic simple patterns can be changed so easily. If you've worked on the fit, 
and you've worked with the pattern before and you're familiar with it, you should use that whether, you know, no matter what brand of pattern you're using and try and look at your patterns with a new eye. So if you say took out all of your top patterns and you looked at them, I'm sure that you would find that most of them were the same basic style. Like say you've got you know, 20 knit top patterns. If you look at that knit top pattern, they're all kind of the same with the changes being maybe a different neckline or a different sleeve, or maybe there's some pieces that are in the body of the garment that give it a little bit different style to Mm -hmm. it. Use those as your inspiration, but use your, what do people call it? The TNT pattern, the tried and true pattern. Use that one to actually make those changes. So let's say that you had your go-to pattern and you've got another pattern that has this beautiful sweetheart neckline on it. You could just trace that neckline shape onto your basic pattern and you would have the fit that you like with that new neckline style. And then because of that, you could use whatever facing pieces came with that and you'd be able to adapt that. Same thing with a sleeve style. When you are looking at sleeves in different patterns, to make sure that it would fit into your armhole or your arm's eye is you would measure the arm's eye of the pattern, which would be the armhole edge. And then you would also measure the sleeve cap on the sleeve. And if it was for a knit garment, you would want those measurements to be the same. There's no extra ease necessarily in a knit sleeve garment. If it was a woven, you would just want it to have maybe an inch of ease. So you could add to the sleeve seam or take away from that to get rid of a little. I tend to trace the armhole from the pattern that the sleeve belongs to and use that armhole on the garment that I want to make. And then you know that that sleeve will definitely fit with that armhole. So you're kind of combining those two pieces definitely go together. But if you line that up on your bodice pattern, then you can use that new armhole with that sleeve. So yeah, so I found that to work really well because sleeves are a bit tricky to mess around with, aren't they? And I think that can put people off. But if you've just got to retrace an armhole, sometimes that can be easier on the front and back pieces. That can be an easier option, can't it? It certainly can. And then also if the sleeve cap is the same, like if it's just a set in sleeve, doesn't have any gathers or anything like that, you could just retrace the shape of the sleeve to get the shape that you want. And say like my perfect t-shirt pattern has a little bit of a curve in at the waist. If you wanted it to be a straighter style, you could just straighten out that curve. If you wanted it to be a tunic length, you could just add a little bit at the hips because you need about four inches of room in the hip area if you want a tunic so it doesn't ride up. So you could add a little bit more at the hip area. There are so many different things that you could do just to the basic pieces of it to make it look like other patterns that you might have. So a lot of times what I suggest to people if they want to whittle down their pattern stash is to go through the patterns and look at them Get rid of some of them that are very similar. So you're just keeping maybe one that has the key piece that you're looking for. And then you could just hold on to those and kind of bundle them up with your tried and true pattern and then just be able to get your inspiration from that, which I think then will whittle down your stash a little bit too. 
There is one other thing that I think is a lot of fun too, and that's adding seams into say the body of a garment. So you might see a basic shirt that has a yoke in it, or maybe has some color blocking or some interesting seam lines. And that's so easy to do because all you would have to do is just trace your original pattern, draw in the seam lines wherever those might be, cut it apart, add some seam allowance, and now you could do some interesting seaming or color blocking, yokes or combining fabrics, you know, whatever you want to do. I get more clothing if I'm using the patterns that I know work for me rather yeah. than starting from scratch where I know that that's going to take me much longer. Yeah. So. The testing process is the biggest yes. part and I'm with you. I think if you get a good pattern that you like, that you've got to fit you, then it's much quicker to add new design details to that, I think, than it is to try and take a pattern with those design details and start all that process again. So I'm a big fan. So I had a conversation with another sewer not long ago, and it was almost like she didn't know that she had permission to do that. You know, so if anybody's in that frame of mind, you have you have our permission to modify, change, cut up, do whatever you want with these patterns. They're your patterns as a starting point. And what we wanted to do was just encourage you to see them as a template, as the starting point and the idea to build on and to make your own. Yeah, and I hear that a lot too. And along that same note, I'll just mention too that notches are one of those things that, people get really hung up on. And ideally, if there is a notch on one piece, it should match the notch on the other piece. But I wonder if people actually realize that the purpose of the notch is that you know that you've got the correct pieces going together. So if there is a single notch on one seam and a double notch on another seam, that you know that the double notches go together and the single notches go together. And, you know, it's great if they do match, but I have definitely found in patterns that they do not always match. And especially because we use multi-size patterns and a lot of times the notches are all kind of glommed in together. I don't really worry about the notch placement too much. I'm not going to say not at all because there's definitely going to be times especially like with easing a mm. fabric or something where the notches are going to be really important. But I put very few notches on my patterns because unless a pattern had like princess seams and there were a lot of different seamings and you would need to know, okay, this triple notch goes with this triple, double goes with double or in a sleeve, a single notch in the front, a double notch in the back, that kind of thing. The notches are really just there to let you know that you've got the correct pieces together. And when I tell people that, I think a lot of times they're just shocked to know that if something's not matching up right, you do not have to match those notches up perfectly. They're just to let you know that you've got the correct pieces together. And the organic nature of fabric, as it's on the table, it only takes a yeah. little shift, doesn't it? Or kind of as it, yeah. as you move it when you're using it. So yeah, I think you're right. Give yourself a bit of grace. There are a few that are important, like you say, for if they're for ease, then it's really helpful to get those matching so that you know yeah. where you've got to start and end, you know, and, and bring those pieces together. But but yeah, I think in terms of making sure you've got a pattern piece the right way up or haven't mistakenly flipped it round, that's definitely the greater purpose for notches. Yeah, and the other one that I find people are very surprised about is darts. So I will say that most modern figures, when I'm talking about somebody who 
probably a little bit of a tummy and a little fluff here. Your average modern figure do not need darts in the front of pants or skirts. Now, if you have a very flat tummy, darts can shape nicely. But if you've got a bit of a tummy, those darts are not going to be flattering and most likely not needed. So just because there are darts placed in those areas on the skirt or pants doesn't mean that you have to use them. So almost always when I'm fitting people in patterns, I'll say, don't put in the front darts, just do the back darts and we'll check the fit. Because 95% or more of the time they do not need the front darts. So why put them in to start? And if they do need them, we can add them in. And it's the same thing like shaping darts in a shirt. If you carry weight in your torso area, if you like the look of the dart, but you really can't take anything in because it would pull across your midriff. I call it a pin tuck dart. So basically it's just a sliver of fabric that's being taken in there just to give the illusion of the dart. I will try the shirt on and then pinch in where the darts would go and see if I need them. So yes, you can change your darts. You can move them. You can use them or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You heard it here. You have permission to do all those things. If you felt like you needed it, then consider it given. That's what we're saying, isn't it? The biggest thing I tell my customers when they ask me, can I do this or can I do that? And I will say, you are the boss of your (laughs) pattern. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) fantastic that's so good it's important that people hear that and take that on board so that you're in control it's just a template and it's yours to do with as you will so yeah Yeah. lovely that's great the, the confidence for that definitely comes in doing it You know what I mean? I talk about it so confidently, but this is my (laughs) job. This is what I do. You know, I do this day in and day out. The average person is not doing it all the time. And the confidence comes with trying it and seeing how it works and not getting frustrated if you have to do over and Mm -hmm. try something else. I find a lot of times newer sewers get very frustrated because they think things should be perfect right off the bat. And if you talk to a seasoned sewer, somebody who's been doing this a long time, they're not ruffled at all by having to do something over because they know that's just part of the game of sewing, for sure. I think that's good to hear. One of the things that struck me when I went to see the Christian Dior exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum, and there was a hall with just all of the twirls in, all the designs. It was amazing. That was my favorite part. But the thing that struck me in there was in the commentary, it talks about them making between five and 10 versions of a garment before they got it right. So if they have to do it, then me doing five and 10 is neither here nor there. You know, they are doing this day in, day out for a profession. That's what they do. So if you need to hear that it's okay if it doesn't go right first time, then again, that's what we're saying. There's things that I even wear and then come back and change because after I've worn them for a bit, I'm like, yeah, I don't quite like that bit. So I'll come and adjust it. And I might have already been through three or four changes before that. You might want to tweak it. You might want to wear it a bit and then change it. That's all still fine. It's all part of the process. So many sewers get down on themselves because the first time they make something, it doesn't turn out perfectly. And then they're paralyzed to do something else. But in a way, and I'm not saying this as a degrading thing, but in a way, Isn't it kind of arrogant to think that we could be 
perfect at something the first time that we do it. It is such a process of trying things and learning from them. If you did everything perfect to start, you would not have the learning process of it. And I honestly think that the personality type of person who is drawn to sewing is creative, inquisitive, and wants to keep learning. I see this across the board with people who take sewing classes with me, that they are just so interested in the whole learning process of it. And so being okay with that, like you said, I think is very important. And to think that we could get something right exactly the first time is a little bit unrealistic. (laughs) (laughs) It is, yeah. And I know it can be frustrating because you've put that time in and you just want to wear something, you've made it. But don't let that frustration last and stop you. I think it is one of those to accept it, learn from it and go forward. I think you're right. Well, that's been fabulous. And hopefully that's given people some inspiration to try some new fabrics, try some new designs or try those fabrics with different designs and to start coming up with some of their own mashups and combinations and things that they're going to do with their own patterns so thank you so much Pamela if people want to get in touch with you if they haven't listened to the previous episodes and how dare they if they haven't but how can they reach you and what's the best way to follow you I can be reached through my website, pamelaspatterns.com. I hope you'll come and visit. I've got all my patterns there that I have designed for the more modern figure. I've got a curated line of sewing notions that I sell as well. And when you go into the section to get the download for the sewing with the silkies and chiffons, there's a lot of other freebie things there that you can access as well. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. So lots of ways to get in touch with me. I love to hear from people. So if you have any questions or if you'd like any virtual classes, I do those as well all over the world now, which is such a nice thing. And I'm happy to help you out with any projects that you might be working on. I love to hear from my customers and people who want to talk sewing. So don't hesitate to reach out. And we'll include all of those details in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. So thank you so much, Pamela. It's been lovely as always to talk to you. I always learn something from these episodes. So I really appreciate you taking the time out because I know you're super busy, but it's lovely to see you. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure working with you. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Check out the show notes in the description area of your podcast app and click to follow or subscribe or head over to sewmindful.com forward slash podcast, which is S-E-W-M-I-N-D-F-U-L dot com where you can also sign up for an email reminder so that you don't miss out on any juicy episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, then please help others find us by leaving a review if you love this episode. And I'm always excited to find out what you got from the episode and how you plan to use the tips. And finally, if you have a question, feedback or a topic you'd like me to investigate, then you can also email me at hello at somuchmorefun.co.uk. So until next time, stay gorgeous and have so much more fun.